You're listening to episode 268 of the Mad Chatters podcast, January 19th, 2022. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Mad Chatters Podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney Universe. I'm Derek, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Hmm. On today's show, we are going to bring on a special guest. We've got a a couple of fun segments planned, Uh, especially fun if you are a fan of a little CBS reality show called the amazing race but we'll get there first we're actually going to transition and talk about a different kind of race because just last week i had the chance to participate in the walt disney world marathon weekend and jeremy asked if i would come on and give a little bit of a report about that so i figured we'd start the show that way and talk about some of the stuff you and i did while we were in the parks last week so brooke on our show a couple episodes ago, talked a lot about the race. So I don't want to rehash any of the stuff she talked about. I know some of our listeners are very marathoned out at this point, but I figured I would just kind of maybe talk about stuff that surprised me that she didn't give me a heads up about. Um, Spoiler warning, I guess, if you've never run a race and you want to be surprised, if you ever do, then maybe skip this part. Uh, But Jeremy, was there anything in particular you were curious about? I know you and I have already talked some while I saw you. Yeah, no, I just, the biggest thing is I wanted to know crowd size. Like, how was it with the people? Was was there more or less than what you expected? And how did everybody sort of behave themselves? And then just uh, what kind of fun you found along the way? Okay, cool. The very first note I have was I was surprised by the number of runners Uh, I kind of mentioned to you that there were a few people that I sort of knew who I found that were also running. And we all like individually said, great, let's connect. We're going to be there at the same time. You know, we're all showing up around 4 a.m. It'll be great. I'll meet up with you. And then I show up. And for instance, at the half marathon, there were 12,699 runners. So everyone I talked to, we kind of messaged and we're like, I'm here, but I'm never going to find you. So <laughs> have a good race and maybe I'll see you later. And I never did. So I I just was not expecting the sheer number of people that were all corralled in a very tiny area, like shoulder to shoulder outside. I mean, it was cool. It was great. But if you were trying to find someone specific, it was a lot harder than I expected. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, you think like a race, that many people trying to run on a road would be challenging. But I guess once everybody spreads out, probably you bottleneck there at the beginning. But yeah, once everybody spreads out, it's a little easier to breathe. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And we had five starting groups and I was in starting group three. And our friend Mark Willard, it was cool. He's He's been on this podcast several times. He happened to be standing r- like right beside me as we were. And even groups starting group three had thousands of people in it. But he happened to be right beside me. And I was like, oh, friendly face. So I got to talk with him for a little <laughs> bit before we started. But I assumed it was like there were there were five. St- instead of a starting gun, you know, they shoot off fireworks at the front. Mm-hmm. I thought that would happen five times. 
But within each starting group, they do that like 20 times, spaced about two minutes apart. Wow. So we saw those fireworks go off, you know, like 20, 30 times before our section of the third group went off. And they do that because even then, it was, like you said, kind of clustered at the beginning. I was zigzagging left and right for the first two miles because, you know, you get you have walkers, you have a little slower paced people, all sorts. And there was no, like, clear path through them. So I was left, right, left, right, left, right. But then, like you said, about mile three for both races... The roads got wider. You're passing more people who have maybe stopped for a picture, or it, it just kind of thins out, and it's much easier to move. But yeah, that, that first mile, I was kind of worried. I'm like, if I'm going to do this shuffle pace for six miles, this could be interesting. <laughs> so, do you want to hear like some of the characters I met along the way? I mean, I know um, you know some a of them. Thousand percent, yes. <laughs> was there a picture that you were most like surprised to see? Um, you had a couple of rare characters that kind of made me surprised and happy. But then there's also something that happens, I guess, at the, the half and the full that I think is so wonderful that, um, I don't know, again, spoiler, if you don't want. But I want you to talk about the choir as well. Oh, no, the choir was just for the full. Oh, it's just for the full? Oh, it wasn't at the half. No, because, speaking of Mark... After the half, he tweeted something like, I was really bummed that there wasn't a choir this year, because always before for the half, that's been one of his favorite parts, is near the finish line, an actual choir of people is singing. But then the next day, he tweeted and said, oh, thank goodness, they're not gone, they were just here for the full. So Yeah, because that's like a, a known thing, I guess, is that I think it's the last half mile is where they're set up. So it kind of gives everybody that last boost in, and they sing like the Hallelujah Chorus or something. See, and I kind of needed, not needed, like I was fine, but the biggest complaint I had is that the last half of the half was kind of a dud. So we we ran through Magic Kingdom at about the halfway point, which was easily the high point of either race, was running through the Magic Kingdom. There is a huge crowd of people on Main Street. I guess like family members can take the monorail in and stand there on Main Street with their signs. So everybody was cheering. The Christmas lights are on. The music is playing. It was so magical. There were rare characters all over that park. So for instance, I stopped to meet the White Rabbit by the Mad Tea Party. I stopped to meet Sebastian, who is enormous, by the Little Mermaid ride. I met Mickey in his Liberty Square colonial garb. Uh, there were a couple that I, I didn't stop for, but we ran all through that park. And that was like, I was on the mountain like it, that was peak marathon weekend was running through magic kingdom but then we just ran all the way back to epcot and there wasn't a lot to do during that last half so a live choir really would have uh elevated it well and that's something you said now here and before is that you found the race kind of boring at parts uh which i find interesting because i think most people were probably like trying not to die but you're like ah <laughs> I am bored. Entertain me, peasants. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did use the word bored. It wasn't so much that... Like, it was sensory overload. I had a billion things going on in my mind. When I tried to listen to a podcast, I could get through like 10 minutes, but then I'd have to pause it just because I would get so distracted. So I don't know if bored is the right word, but after two and a half hours of running, you're kind of like, okay, I want to go to a park now. You know, like, I want to go see my friends. I, I I need something to do, especially when they don't have the race packed with choirs and things that weren't there that I thought would be. Um, but at the end of the half, my the two most rare characters, for me at least, 
there was no one in line for these people. I think it's because it was at the very end. And I think people were like, well, I'm not stopping now. The finish line is half a mile ahead. But Bolt was there in Epcot meeting. I'd never seen Bolt before. And then Wilbur Robinson was there. And for both of them, the photographer was just standing there and the character was waving at the runners. And I kind of motioned to the photo pass like, can I, can I jump in here? And I didn't even have to stop. I just kind of popped a squat real quick, threw up some peace signs, <laughs> they took my picture, and I was on my way. Uh, whereas at the front of the race, you could meet like Buzz Lightyear, who is not rare at all. And there were probably 30 people in that line. So it was funny to me how the lines got shorter and shorter the farther in you got. So you were texting me, though, throughout the race because I was up, even though it was super early because I was working, and um, which I loved, and it was great. And I definitely had uh, FOMO while you were running. Uh, but I want to share two of my favorite texts that you sent me <laughs> okay. while you're running. Um, well, the two of them that I can read in this podcast. <laughs> uh, um, the one he said, at the transportation and took it to her, which I believe you were trying to tell me you were at the transportation and ticket center, but Siri interpreted that a little, a little differently, but I think took it to her is appropriate as well. Yes. Well, f for uh, context, I text you that because you were working at the transportation and ticket center. And my hope was, Oh, he could come out and say, Hey, it didn't happen partly because I had to send, I had to try three different times to finally send that Incorrect <laughs> typo filled text. And then uh, my other favorite message um, was two miles left. So far, no bloody nipples and no poop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to contextualize <laughs> that one, I was already unsure of what to expect for this race. And then the night before I run, I'm sitting down with you and you guys are talking about what some people experience when they run long races. And all of this was new to me. I mean, the bloody nipples I had heard, but I have never dealt with that. But then you kind of made it sound like, yeah, well, but you haven't run a half marathon before. And then I discovered you said something about people poop their pants. <laughs> this was news to me. Which is why there's porta potties like every 20 feet along the raceway. Because when the body needs to go it goes because you're expelling a lot of energy uh for some people a half marathon is very challenging derek's bored listening to podcasts but other people are trying to hold their bowels yeah so it was on my mind the entire time and i think i texted you yeah i texted you that mile 11 or so i was like i think i'm gonna be okay yeah nothing to worry <laughs> about <glad>. here yeah <laughs> it was funny that you were the only one awake because you know i'm on central time here so all my friends and family, it was 4.30 a.m. And I'm like, well, I can't text them, dang it. <laughs> How dare they not be up and supportive, though? I know, right? How, why, were they tr why are they not tracking my progress? Oh, yeah, you can do that for people, by the way. So if you know somebody running, you can track their, their bib number and it'll tell you real time where they are on the race course, which I thought was cool. I didn't do that for you, um, unfortunately, but one of my coworkers ran and we uh, tracked her on Sunday. Well, I tracked, uh, you tracked me through uh, my text messages, so. That's true. I was up to date on that. <laughs> yeah. My phone was all tucked away. I just had my AirPods in and my favorite text was, uh, Jeremy Crittenden sent you an image. And I'm like, I can't, I can't see images. 
Come on. <laughs> well, and the image was appropriate. I didn't realize this, but I sent him the Just Keep Swimming from uh, Finding Nemo. So Perfect. I was being supportive. <laughs> yes, yes. I appreciated it after the fact. Uh, yeah, so it was really cool. I also met Horace Horsecaller. I That picture never showed up, so I'll never see how it turned out. But I did meet him. But I did pass probably half the characters. I was kind of worried that I would get to the end of the race and not have stopped for any. But I guess they just put all the more common characters near the front of the race. Because I passed Buzz Lightyear. I passed Bo Peep and Rafiki and Stitch. Um, characters that you, you can meet most days in the park. And I think we should mention, too, we went to the expo. And that was at ESPN, which neither of us have been to as far as really exploring. And that place is fascinating. We are not sports people, but I was fascinated by that. It really is. And it, it felt it felt cool to be there with so many other people who are also running the races. There was like that sort of sense of community I mentioned. But I imagine if you walk through there on a normal day, it'd feel kind of creepy. Yeah, it's much more space than what you think. And, and everything's well taken care of. Like, there were people watering the fields while we were there. And I'm like, do people even use these fields? I don't know. There's a cheerleading competition there happening as we record, so... Oh, yeah. That's true. It was cool, though. I mean, the expo was about what I expected, but um, it was neat. Like I said, being around so many other people who are doing the same thing as you. It is it is kind of cool. Like, they had a ton of merchandise, but the thing I mentioned to you was I, I didn't end up buying anything because, really, you get the medal with your admission and you get a free pretty nice long sleeve t-shirt for each race as well so i'm like that's kind of all the merchandise i need but if you want more they had quite a good selection for each mugs race. cups magnets shirts pins lots of stuff yeah yeah you can get for every race like you said so yeah um i'm looking at my notes notes just like a i'm trying to think of a couple other things uh, in general i had an amazing time. I've been to Walt Disney World probably a hundred times at this point, probably more than that. This is something I will look back on more fondly than most things I've ever done there. It was just, it was oddly emotional. It was so rewarding. I can't wait to do the next one. If you've ever wondered whether or not you could complete a run Disney race, you can. I mean, like I said, there were 12,000 people and you, you saw the entire gamut there. You saw people walking as soon as the gun went off at the beginning. You saw people walking farther on. You know, I think the same girl won all four races for the first yeah. time ever. Yeah. So you see that end of the spectrum as well. Like people who don't care about the characters just want to breeze through. So you're not going to stand out no matter where you fall on that spectrum. And I had the most amazing time. I'm really glad I signed up for two. Because when the 10K was over, all I could think was, I'm so glad I'm doing this again tomorrow. Because that <laughs> flew by. Like, it's just an hour. And it absolutely flew by. They also have people who uh, have disabilities and are able to, to race as well. Because one of the beginning of the race, one of the guys was uh, in a wheelchair. But he was using, like, a hand crank sort of thing. Like, it looked like a bicycle pedals, but for your hands. I'm doing the motion for people at home. and uh, <laughs> But man, he like flew through, like whizzed through. So there's really no excuse. If you want to do it, there's opportunity for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. One of my favorite moments is that they have, uh, gosh, I couldn't believe the number of people, of spectators they had, like all throughout. I mean, cast members, family members, volunteers giving out water, giving out snacks, like everywhere, which really does give you like the energy you need to keep going. 
And I know the cast members are paid to be there, and I'm sure they're like, oh, I got the 5.30 a.m. shift. But it still meant a lot to me, because you run by, and they're not just standing there. Like, they're actively screaming and clapping and saying, you can do it, you're almost there, keep going. Uh, but one of my favorite moments was every mile or so, they had tables full of cups of water and volunteers just kind of handing it out for you to grab as you run by. And the first couple I grabbed, you know, like half of it went in my mouth, but the other half just went all over me because you're trying to run and walk. And the third time that happened, I just dumped it all over me, basically. And I realized it was Powerade. And I was like, y'all give a warning for this kind of stuff. Like, yell Powerade or something because I had blue sticky stuff all over me. You live and you learn. That's true. That was through the Pandora part, right? The blue sticky stuff all over you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I wish we could have gone through Animal Kingdom. That was that was my one thing, cause cause uh, like I said, the half we ran all the way from Epcot to Magic Kingdom, that was like five miles, and then we breezed through Magic Kingdom, and then we ran all the way back, and at the very end we went through Epcot sort of, but we entered backstage by Living Seas, which is gross and should never be seen by the public, and then we kind of ran through Future World a little bit, past a bunch of construction walls, and then we were out of Epcot. So it's like yeah, basically one park. I don't want to pull the curtain back too much, but literally what you just said about Epcot backstage could be said for all of Epcot, not just that part. It's a little uh, crusty. That's the word I like to use. It's not its best self. During the 10K, it was a little better because we entered International Gateway and it was still dark outside. The sun hadn't risen, so they had all the harmonious barges lit up, all the fountains were going, all the Epcot lights were on. But in the half, by the time we got back there, the sun was up. And so you could see every, you know, cobwebby corner and uh, stained <laughs> construction wall. Yeah, at some point, though, I always say about Epcot backstage, like it's 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 almost nostalgic now. Like it's it's retro. Like you're like, this is still the tile from 1982. We can't oh, get rid yeah. of it now. <laughs> that asbestos has been here for 30, 40 years. We have to keep it, you know. <laughs> Very true. Uh, I'm curious, when we ran by the TTC, right behind it, there was a loud marching band, like which was really cool. Like I loved seeing live performers there. Could you hear them from where you were working? All day, yes. Oh, <laughs> All gosh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. But, you know, it, it added some energy uh, to the area, which is always fun. So Yeah. Um, F- from what I remember, there were two live acts, that marching band and then... As you got closer to Magic Kingdom over by the Contemporary, kind of, there was sort of like a Latin band playing sort of like conga music with their electric instruments. And they were really good, and that was fun. But I was bummed because I found out later that for the marathon, the citizens of Hollywood were out there, Uh, which would have been cool. Yeah, the marathon, so you did Magic Kingdom and Epcot. The Fool went all the way down to Animal Kingdom, but it went through Bear Island Road in Western Way, if anybody's oh, yeah. familiar with property, which is, I mean, there's nothing, like literally nothing. Um, so I was, if you thought going from Magic to Epcot was boring, I imagine that's not the most thrilling either. And then they went into Animal Kingdom, but then they went out the back. So they went out uh, backstage. So no guests could be there to cheer um, because the park wasn't open yet and there was really no place that they could could be so um yeah it was kind of interesting yeah magic kingdom had the most people um you you kind of told me that i guess like family members can sign up to to get there early or something 
Yeah, I think there's certain spots that you can you can join and like get access, but also it, you could just show up like at TTC. People, if you got there in time before the roads close, you could get access to just TTC and see people along the way. Okay, I had a huge smile on my face coming under the train station because there were just hundreds of people there. But the other spot was during the 10K when after we left Hollywood Studios, we ran a- around the boardwalk to get to Epcot. And there were a ton of people all down the boardwalk. And that was also really exciting because they're all cheering you on. And you're like, I, I was like, I want to stop and take pictures of the boardwalk at <laughs> night. But I feel weird because everybody's watching. Yeah, everybody's like, we're cheering you on. Why are you stopping? Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, uh, sorry to you know bore listeners if they didn't want to hear those stories for a second time. But it was incredible. And I can't wait for the next one. I was going to just ask, are you going to do it again? Oh, 100%. I I tried to sign up for the springtime one, and it's already sold out, but I 100% would have done that one in April if there had been uh, vacancy left. There you go. My question is, and I think I know the answer because you've already teased it to me, are you doing the next one? You know, I was telling people as I was texting Derek, even my coworkers, as I was standing out there, I said, I'm having the biggest sense of FOMO I've ever had in my entire life. So yes, I'm going to do it again. I've never, or ne- not again, I'm going to do it next year with you. So um, I'm not a runner. I, I, I run a little bit, but I haven't been like serious about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've already started. Mm-hmm. Then it got cold and I stopped, but... <laughs> oh, listen, I have not run one time since I got home because the highest it's been has been like 46. And I'm like, nope, I'm not training for anything. It's not worth that. But listen, I want to tell our listeners, go back and listen to um, the other the show when we talked about Derek preparing for this. But uh, also Jeff Galloway, who is like the Run Disney... I guess he's the official trainer because all his stuff's on the website. Um I just got his book and I've been doing some reading on his stuff. And if you know nothing about running and you've never done it, that's basically me. Look into his stuff. It's a good guide to help you sort of have some challenges, have some goals and go from there. So Jeff Galloway, I just got his book, The Run Walk Run Method. But check out Run Disney, uh, the website, and there's training tips and and schedules and things on there. So if you. It, I was going to say, if Derek can do it, but Derek's in great shape. If I can do it, <laughs> anyone can do it. So listeners, keep me accountable over the next year. And uh, maybe we'll see you in January. I was going to say, come next January, we'll all have a big Mad Chatters meetup. And that will entice Jeremy even more to to stay with it. Um, a couple things about that. First of all, I the people I talked to who were like, hey, I'm also running the half. In my mind, I'm like, wait, does that mean we're going to run it? together or we're just going to say hey real quick because I'm like I don't know if I could run with someone else but after this race if you and I do more than one race like for instance if we do three or four of the races the 5k I think it actually would be fun to run together because it's not like you're trying to make a personal record for sure and there were so many times you know where I was texting you so that helped but it would have been so helpful to like have someone beside me that we could like joke about something with or take pictures with stuff like that so just something to keep in mind yeah, the 5K we'll do together. The other ones, I'll be too worried about pooping myself that I need oh, everyone to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. I'm holding it all in. Uh, the other thing was you mentioned Jeff Galloway. You and I stopped by his booth at the expo, and we kind of mentioned, oh, do you think he's here? 
and he wasn't. But then I found out later, I don't know if you saw this, but he did run a couple of the races. He posted on Instagram, that was the hardest half marathon of my life. Uh, it was my first half marathon after having a heart attack. But it was so reassuring knowing that I was not alone. I was out there with other heart attack survivors. Uh, that is what running is all about. We are all in this together. So it's a really cool post that he put on Instagram. But wow. it turns out he was he was there this weekend. Huh. And, you know, he had a heart attack and he's a marathon runner or, you know, a long competitive runner, Olympian. Um, Bob, Oprah's trainer, trainer and uh, what was that? The, the, the Biggest Loser, that guy from there, he had like a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Maybe running's going to kill me. I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't do this. I'm not. I'm not letting you get out of it that easy. <laughs> Sorry. Just kidding. No, no, no. I'll be there. I'm. I'm super pumped. Well, don't forget to train and also save because it costs a lot of money. That is true as well. Yeah. yeah. I got to pick up some overtime because I got a cruise to pay for and a Run Disney event to pay for. So yes, Jeremy, our first Run Disney events and our first Disney cruise all within a year's time. That's right, and that's why we have the GoFundMe set up. So uh. yeah, and <laughs> later this year, our first day at the Star Wars Galactic Star. Cru- oh wait, no, <laughs> too much. We can only handle so much. Yeah, our wallets can only handle so much. Let's go ahead and bring on today's guest. You haven't heard his voice here before, but maybe you've checked out his blog or his podcast over at the Tomorrow Society. We are thrilled to have on today Dan Heaton. Hi, Dan. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. For our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the Tomorrow Society, do you want to kind of tell them where they can find you and what exactly you do? Sure. Yeah. So the Tomorrow Study Podcast, I do interviews. I talk to a wide range of experts on theme parks, um, authors, filmmakers, also former Imagineers and some podcasters. And we just, it's a one-on-one interview, a lot about their stories, their backgrounds and some variety of topics. It's a lot of fun and it's on all the podcast platforms, but TomorrowSociety.com is where it is. And um, you should check it out. Yeah, I think our two shows have a lot of overlap, actually, with with the stuff people are interested in, like theme park history, all things theme park. So I I really think our listeners who haven't checked you out definitely should. And it's also interesting to note that you and my co-host Jeremy also have uh, St. Louis in common. I don't know if you knew this. Really? I didn't even know that. No, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. I live here now, grew up here, and... um... You know, I've been. It's not easy to get to the parks, but it's it's a great city. Jeremy, what is what is your history with that? Well, that's where I grew up, born and raised, and uh, so I have to ask you these obligatory St. Louis question: What high school? <laughs> well, I went to uh, St. Louis University High School. I grew up oh, in an area rich. called Afton. Oh well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't mean to brag or anything, but um, I grew up in an area called Afton, and um, currently live in like the. Webster Groves, the Shrewsbury area, if you know the area very well. So, um, gotcha. like just outside the city, but yeah, um, yeah. But don't I, don't hold that against me. Yeah, <laughs> so, I went so to I, just... uh, I went to Fox. I grew up in uh, in Arnold, so just the edge of the white trash. Oh, never, <laughs> not at all. Does your cast member name tag say Arnold? It does. Okay. Yeah, I I purposely put that uh, 
instead of St. Louis. So it's a little bit of uh, <laughs> but actually what I didn't know until I, until I started working at Disney is that there's a Arnold, Maryland. And a lot of people interpret Arnold, Missouri as Arnold, Maryland. Cool. But no, very Small good. World. Uh, yeah, uh, John Goodman from Afton as well. Fun facts. Yes, I knew that. I, um, you know, we would drive by and somebody would say that's where he used to live. But um, he was gone by then. <laughs> Just <laughs> random places. That's where John Goodman used to live. <laughs> Pretty normal looking house. I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to argue? <laughs> Just because I also want to be part of this conversation, I grew up in a very small town in southern Illinois that was directly east of St. Louis, and even though it was two hours away, St. Louis was still the closest big city. So a lot of our field trips were like long bus rides to the city. That's crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that whole area, and I don't want to, I don't get a big head about St. Louis, but I know that um, my wife came, grew up in Illinois across the, not as not far south, but about 45 minutes away, so... Similar area. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In fact, I saw The Lion King this week here in Nashville. It was on tour. And I was remembering that the last time I saw The Lion King was 18 years ago at the Fox Theater in St. Louis. Wow. It had been a while. I'll be visiting the homeland uh, in about two weeks. So I'll be up there. Uh, Do me a favor and turn the heat on. I understand it's cold. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Not fun. But um, but you you might luck out. We've had some weird warm days, so you could luck out. We have a fun topic planned today with you, but if you're okay, I think we're going to start with a game. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It's time for another magical game. And now here's your Mad Cheddar host, Mad Cheddar Jeremy. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for that introduction. It is time for another game. And today we're pitting Derek against Dan, our guest. And this game's called, well, it has two names. I can't decide. So uh, the first option is it's called Tomato Tomato. Or the other is Something's Rotten. Take your pick. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two films that uh, the Disney company has been uh, made, I guess, uh, or a part of on some level over uh, the last however many years. And you have to tell me which one has the lower score on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, gosh. Now, this is the critics rating, not the audience rating. And this is the critic score as of today so if you're listening to this podcast five years in the future perhaps that's changed i doubt it all right any questions comments concerns complaints pretty straightforward sounds awesome all right here we go and i have uh 16 of them so again you're going for the which one is rotten well okay not rotten necessarily which one has the lower score okay all right dan as our guest we'll start with you the animated film Tarzan from 1999 versus Hercules from 1997. Which of those has a lower score on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, wow. that That's tough because I feel like they're going to be really close, which is why, of course, you would ask the question. You're not going to pick something too easy. Oh, because, you know, Tarzan, you've got Phil Collins, but... Hercules two years earlier, maybe people were feeling more positive about it. I'm going to say 
and Hercules has some really good songs in the beginning and stuff. I'm going to say Hercules has the lower score. Tarzan currently has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Hercules has 84%. Correct. Hey. <laughs> All right. A point for you, Oof. Dan. All right, Derek, your turn. Chicken Little. Okay. Clearly also an 89%. <laughs> Versus Home on the Range. Oh, no. Don't do this to me. So this would be one of Disney's first CGI films, if not the first. Versus one of their last before the, the Renaissance era, if you would, or the second Renaissance, last traditionally drawn films. Yeah. So Chicken Little is one of maybe like four holdouts I have that I still have not seen from the Disney collection. So if I get this wrong, that's my excuse. <laughs> but which was... I'm actually going to say Home on the Range had the lower score. Chicken Little comes in at 36%. Oh, no. oh, gosh. And Home on the Range comes in at 53%. Wow. So Chicken Little has the lower. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe it'd get points for the CG. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I don't think Chicken Little is that bad of a movie. I mean, keep your expectations low, but... Yeah. Worth, worth the watch. Um, also, did you know how they uh this is a little sidetrack here do you know how they decide if something is rotten or not on rotten tomatoes yeah every every score is either good or bad and then if it has 60 percent good then it's then it's fresh right yes see i thought like when they like critics like rated films like one to a hundred and then they average that no it's just if a critic says yes it's good or no it's not good and then that's the average from that percentage yeah and you've read a review before some reviews are very ambiguous they're like they have a lot of good things and bad things to say so who is who is rotten tomatoes to be like oh they liked it it's a good review yeah fascinating though so dan you are ahead one to nothing now we come back to you the year was 1995 pocahontas Versus a goofy movie. Oh, gosh. I think I'd say Pocahontas versus Toy Story. I was like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting a goofy movie. Um, Oh, man. This is a tricky one. You got the prestige film versus, you know, versus Pocahontas. Pocahontas. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Um, You know... Part of me thinks it's so obviously that a goofy movie is lower that that's wrong. So, like, you, you're you setting me up here. So I'm going to say Pocahontas is lower. Pocahontas has 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. And a goofy movie has 59%. Yeah. <laughs> Got it right. I Which thought it would be, just... both would be higher. Uh, exactly. But especially a goofy movie. That's appalling. All right, Derek, back to you. Muppet Christmas Carol versus Muppet Treasure Island. Oh. Please tell me Muppet Treasure Island has a lower score. (laughs) 
All right. Well, Muppet Treasure Island has a 70%. Muppet Christmas Carol, 75%. So you are correct. But again, I want to meet these 25% of critics that don't enjoy that film. Michael did. Michael Caine did not cry actual tears in that movie, just so you would give it a 75%. <laughs> Agreed. That should be like 95 I know. Muggles. All right. Uh back to dan dan uh the animated version of robin hood versus aristocats gosh i think i haven't seen aristocats since i was young um did watch robin hood recently i don't know if that helps or hurts i have no idea what critics would think about the aristocats that's the problem so I'm going to say that's lower because I like Robin Hood. It has good songs. It's a little slow, but I'm going with the Aristocats is lower. All right. The Aristocats, 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Barely fresh. Barely. Robin Hood, 54%. Oh. So you missed out on that. Ouch. All right, Derek, we come back to you. Uh, in the 1980s, we have The Black Cauldron, 1985, versus Oliver and Company. I'm, that's a really good one because I'm curious where critics would have landed on those two. I actually quite like Oliver and Company, but I wonder if critics applauded Disney for trying something different with the dark book adaptation, Black Cauldron. Uh, no, I will say Black Cauldron has a lower score. Black Cauldron, 53%. Oliver and Company, 50%. Oh, wow. I was with you on that, Derek. Yeah, yeah, I saw the nodding of a head, so I was like, oh, good, I'm right. But we were both wrong. (laughs) What do I know? (laughs) We we both know we're bad at this game, but that's okay. All righty, back to Dan. Dan, uh, early 2000s, Treasure Planet versus Atlantis. Oof. I think I think people like Treasure Planet a bit more. So I'm going to say Atlantis is lower. Atlantis has 49%. Treasure Planet, surprisingly, 69%. Mm. You got that one right. Nice. That's higher than I expected Treasure Planet to be. Yes. <laughs> to be honest with you, so. I, I'd agree. Just I think all the supporting cast is a lot better in, in Treasure Planet. All right, uh, Derek. Back to you. This is called the Battle of uh, Michael Eisner. The Little Mermaid, 1989's The Little Mermaid, versus Don't Splash. Don't say it. I knew it. <laughs> okay. Splash has a lower score. Splash, 91% on Rotten Tomato. But The Little Mermaid, 93%. Okay. You got that correct. Wow. Close. Very close. Very close. <laughs> All right, Dan, are you a Marvel fan? Yeah, I, I've seen Marvel movies. I don't know if that's okay. going to help me. Gotcha. Well, Iron Man 2 versus Iron Man 3. Mm, I know what I would prefer. Me too. But it's hard to know. I think I think Iron Man 3 got a little more love because Shane Black and everything else. So I'm going to say Iron Man 2 is lower. Iron Man 2, 72%. Ooh, oh, no. Iron Man 3, 
79%. Oh, that is right. correct. Good. <laughs> Good. I like Iron Man 3. Me too. Christmas. Uh, Derek, you're a uh, fan of uh, Lion King, correct? Of course. Okay, good. Lion King one and a half. Oh, no. Versus Lion King two, Simba's Pride. I want to know how many reviews on Rotten Tomatoes there are, because who who wasted their time reviewing this? (laughs) I will say... What an absurd question. I will say Lion King one and a half, because it's a lower number, has a lower score. Lion King one and a half, 78% approval. <laughs> oh my gosh. And the three reviewers are all like Disney bloggers. <laughs> uh, Lion King two, Simba's Pride, 62%. So you missed that one. However, Man. both of those are technically certified fresh. <laughs> It's true. Lion King 2 has some good songs. I'm not going to lie. All right, Dan, back to you. Uh, This is the Battle of the Pixar sequels. Finding Dory versus Monsters University. Ooh. Interesting. Trying to think of what critics, like how much they thought of. I think that they liked both. But I think Monsters University was a bit lower. I think Finding Dory was enjoyed by many. So I'm going to say Monsters University. Yeah, Monsters University. 80% Monsters University. But this is shocking to me. Finding Dory has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) So that's correct as well. (laughs) I think I remember the the critic reviews were really high for Finding Dory. No, not that high. That is very high. I love Monsters University, though. I think it's great. Very it's underrated. Fun. All right, Derek. Uh, Freaky Friday, nineteen seventy-six, the original Freaky Friday, versus the two thousand three Freaky Friday. This is hard because there are way less reviews from way fewer reviews from the 70s to track. So does that mean in general they were positive? I love I love the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday so much. Um, I don't know if it's aged well, but at the time, man, I loved that movie. I'm going to say, though, that it has a lower score. Freaky Friday, Jamie Lee Curtis. 88%. The original Freaky Friday, only 70%. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. I just... Ugh, that's tough. Yeah, I'm trying to see how many reviews were... 10 reviews. 7 out of 10. Uh, 23 reviews. (laughs) So not much more. Whereas the other one has... uh, 155 reviews. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) A little more fair there. Okay. Uh, Underrated Jim. Go watch it on Disney+. Plus. All right, Dan. Eddie Murphy's The Haunted Mansion versus The Country Bears. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, The Country Bears is so ridiculous. We just watched that a few few months ago. My girls were amazed at how weird it is. Um, <laughs> that's got to be lower. I mean, I think The Country Bears is so funny because it's so bad, but it's got to be lower than The Haunted Mansion. I mean, it's going to be like 45 and 30 or something, but I'm going Country Bears. Well, Country Bears has 31%. Wow. Good call. But the Haunted Mansion has 13%. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Because, oh, that's rough. 
Wow, that's so funny because I feel like there's a wide section of Disney Parks fans who will defend the Haunted Mansion. Like, it's not that bad. It, there's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's yeah. What I was thinking. Uh, probably about 13% of them. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Eddie. Uh, Derek, uh, last one for you. The live-action Beauty and the Beast versus the live-action Aladdin. I very much have an opinion on this. I think I absolutely love one and absolutely loathe the other. But I'm going to say... This is really hard. I'm going to say and pray that Beauty and the Beast has a lower score. Beauty and the Beast has 71%. Aladdin, 57%. Ah. <laughs> I know, I can agree that that's wrong. Justice for, don't remember his name, but the lead actor in that movie. Yeah, him. Justice for him. Oh, I lied. That wasn't your last one. Because this is the last round here. All right. Dan. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids versus Newsies. Oh, boy. Now, the original Newsies, not yeah, yeah. the stage uh, version. I was like, there's a Newsies remake? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Newsies is lower because I think critics really liked Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They did. 77%. Newsies, 39%. Ooh. Yeah, I think kids of a certain generation, a.k.a. Our generation were obsessed with newsies, and then everyone else just didn't get it. Yeah. And compared to the stage version, it's a little rough. <laughs> All right, last one, Derek. Mary Poppins versus Mary Poppins Returns. Come on. Five decades apart. Um, before you answer, before you answer. So there's 55 reviews of Mary Poppins, and there is 377 reviews of Mary Poppins Returns. Okay, Mary Poppins Returns surely has the lower score. Mary Poppins Returns has an 80%. Good. On Rotten Tomatoes. Mary Poppins has a 96%. You yeah, are okay. correct. Because yeah. <laughs> who's going to review that terribly? Like... Well, yeah, well yeah. who who today, if they review that terribly, is going to be taken seriously. It's like we all know Mary Poppins is a classic. <laughs> In fact, hold on. I'm just going to see if there's any negative review on here that I can glance at. 4%. Like ah. two people. Okay, here are two. Yep, the two re negative reviews. This is from uh, Al Cohn from Newsday. He says... There is nothing wrong with good, clean fantasy if there is just some sort of explanation to make it more than just a successful, a succession of camera tricks. So, but screw him. Uh, okay. And then this other one says, Mary Poppins is a product instead of the wholly enchanting children's art it is e it easily should have been. That's from Ken Winters from the Winnipeg Free Press. Listen, get your Canadian BS out of here. That's what hey. I'm saying, Ken. Canadian listeners, listeners, we love you. <laughs> we love you, but keep Ken in check. All That's right? right. That's right, Winnipeg. <laughs> We're going to knock you down a Winnipeg. 
All right. Well, that's the end of the game. Derek, you had a score of three. Not your best showing. And uh, then you came in and whooped some tail with seven. Excuse oh, me. Wow. Six. Six. Oh, that's good. So. too. <laughs> yes. All right, Steve, take us out. Congratulations, Dan. You won this match. Hitter game. Join us next time. Same match. Hitter fun. Same match. Hitter podcast. For our main segment today, we're going to do a bit of a tie-in with a show that all three of us are fans of. It's why we brought Dan on today, because he also watches and is well-versed in the CBS reality show, The Amazing Race, which is coming up on, or I guess it just passed 20 years on the air. It's currently airing its 33rd season, which just started a few weeks ago. So in honor of the return of this show, today we're going to combine our love of Disney theme parks with our love of The Amazing Race. And we're going to dream up what a season of The Amazing Race might look like if it were filmed entirely on Walt Disney World property. Now, I realize there might be many of our listeners who do not watch or have never even seen an episode of The Amazing Race, but that's okay. If you're a Disney Parks fan, I I do think this episode will have a lot for you to enjoy. Um, However, I do think it would be helpful if we started out by giving a general overview of The Amazing Race. So, Dan, do you mind giving a rundown of how, like, a typical season or a typical episode of The Race works? Yeah, sure. So, like you mentioned, The Amazing Race, they've been around for about 20 years. Has 30, they're in their 33rd season. And, essentially, there's about 11 teams, typically, pairs of two that have an existing relationship. You know, it could be a couple, they could be siblings, father-daughter, friends, whatever. And they are racing around the world, hence the name. And within each episode is a leg. And it's kind of like a mix of travel with a scavenger hunt where they're doing various tasks at cities around the world. They start in the United States. They typically go all the way around the world eventually by various routes each season. Sometimes they hit South America, Australia, Europe, and various areas. And then they do various tasks called a detour, which is you choose between two different tasks or a roadblock, which is one of the two team members will do it and they don't really know what they're doing. And they have other things where they're doing more traveling, trains, planes, the whole deal. And um, at the end of the episode, the last place team in that leg is eliminated most of the time. And then they get down to three teams and they run for the finish. The winner gets a million dollars. Also, it's hosted by a man from New Zealand named Phil Kogan who also hosts Tough as Nails about blue-collar people competing, which started a few years ago. Phil is an awesome person and makes the show with his eyebrow raises and sarcasm and everything else. So that's the most basic description. 
I am holding myself back from going further, but I think it gives an idea. It's kind of like a mix of travel skills and physical skills with some smarts mixed in between. Yeah, it's the type of show that is just like so easy to watch. You know, it's not it's not political. Um, it's the teams are always fun to watch, even if they don't get along or they do. It's always just like good popcorn TV for the whole family. So I think it really fits our audience. Uh, if you've never seen it, maybe check it out, especially since a new season just started. But I'm curious, do either of you have like favorite challenges or even just favorite types of challenges that they do in seasons past? Well, it's weird for me because some of the most like memorable challenges are weird challenges like they have to eat a crazy amount of caviar or they had to eat the soup where people it was so spicy that people were throwing up into the soup. And those are not the typical Amazing Race challenges, but those are ones and a lot of times ones that are the most fun are ones where people make a lot of mistakes and or they have like they are involved like oh, they have to find three things in the city and someone goes to the wrong place and starts just like painting some random guy's house, which has happened before. <laughs> or just yeah. Kind of, yeah, there's weird things where I think when the people are able, and they're not this season very controlled because it was shot during, the middle of it was shot during <laughs> COVID, so they couldn't do it. But normally they interact a lot with locals. So the things I really enjoy is when they get to interact with the people and not just in some like, football stadium they're actually really interacting with people that's what i really like yeah i was gonna say two things that stick out in my mind is they've done it a couple times where they have to carry cheese down the hill and it's always the best and then the one season where they were using catapults and they had to pull the watermelons <laughs> and shoot the watermelons and it came back and smoked that girl in the face amazing <laughs> they use that in the promos <laughs> yes yes <laughs> What in the world? Those are the exact two challenges I was going to name. Because that cheese <laughs> challenge, they just had to carry wheels of cheese on their back in like this little contraption that was sort of like a fragile wooden backpack. And I remember watching it live that night and just crying from laughter oh, yeah. because they had to walk down the hill, but the hill was so wet that they would slip. And when they slipped, the backpack would break and this wheel of cheese would just go flying down this hill and they would have to chase it down, which is not what the task was meant to be. Oh, it was so funny. And yeah, the watermelon. I showed that YouTube clip to anyone. Whenever I bring up The Amazing Race, I'm like, y'all gotta watch this. When somehow she does not break a single bone in her face. Yeah, if you're if you're uh, never seen The Amazing Race, just pause the podcast right now and go Google those. You will not be disappointed. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good. Okay, so today on this episode, we thought it would be fun to dream up a Walt Disney World season, which is never going to happen. But if they filmed an entire season of the show on Walt Disney World property, what kind of challenges would they come up with? What would we want to see? So we did some armchair imagineering, and we've each come prepared with five ideas. Jeremy, do you want to start? Uh, yes. So as you mentioned, there's detours and then there's roadblocks. And the detour is like the one or the other sort of uh, challenge. So one of the things that they usually do that I always enjoy is that they take place, like they take part in some of like the local culture or the local arts of wherever they're visiting. So they might be you know, in Russia and they have to do a ballet performance with the Russian ballet or whatever. So Teams must now come to the to Disney's Animal Kingdom and then they rip it open and they can either 
perform as divine and they have to like learn how to use the stilts and then go on stage and do movements as divine or they go to festival of the lion king and they have to learn a routine as a tumble monkey and so they have to put on the costume and have to do some kind of flips or trapeze thing uh over there with the tumble monkeys yeah that's pretty good so i think both would involve you know some skill and some level of talent uh because you know but but it wouldn't be too difficult if you've seen the show you know it's never like too involved but one team always cracks under the pressure and it's amazing yeah, because people come with different skill sets. Like, in fact, on this last episode, they had to perform a routine and there was a father-daughter. And she's like, oh, no, we got this. And he was very much like, no, we don't. This is not what <laughs> I'm good at. I'm good at other things. And you always see that in those types of challenges. And it's also the kind of challenge where I'm guessing there would be a judge who decides if you passed or not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Joe yeah. Rody will be, actually. Oh, <laughs> perfect. He's got nothing to do. The Amazing Race also, beyond making them do weird novelty songs like this one this week about Donald wear your trousers, but they also love to have them wear weird costumes. That's like, as the show's gone on, they always put them in strange costumes. And Divine is awesome, but putting the teams, like you see some burly dude having to be Divine, that's like <laughs> comedy gold. That's great. It's great. I do love that. That would be fun. Okay, Dan, do you want to share your first pick? Sure. So I started out here with um, a roadblock. And so often they will have tasks where somebody has to maybe rappel down or they have to be up really high and spot a flag somewhere. And then they have to go to that place. It's happened in finales where this one girl could not find it and they went to the wrong place. And so what I'm going to have you do, it's a roadblock. And it's the, que the question they ask, they always ask a question and the clue is, who's ready to drop in? So what you're going to have to do is ride the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. And while you get up to the spot where you, you, know, where you can see out, there'll be a flag out there in another location. And you have to spot it. And then if you don't see it or you see it wrong, when it goes down, you've got to go through the pre-show and then get on and ride it again. And so someone could theoretically have to keep riding it over and over and my thought was maybe put the flag at maybe at the launch bay. Now, again, I haven't done the play testing to see if I'm out there on Tower of Terror. Can I see the launch bay? But it seems like about right. So I like the idea of someone being able to have to go through it. Maybe they don't like heights. Maybe they don't like drops. And then they get stuck doing it over and over. Yeah, that those are the hardest kind of roadblocks to watch because the partner just has to stand there and not do anything and when the partner goes back and rides it for the 10th time you see just like the frustration <laughs> like how are you not finding it you don't know you're not riding it yeah that's the thing with the roadblocks they can't offer any help they can only offer words of encouragement so it's really frustrating for the partner when they know the answer and they can't help at all yeah <laughs> i like that that's really good um Side note, real quick. I just remembered, so Jeremy and I, before you came on, Dan, we were talking about the race weekend last week, and we mentioned the porta-potties that are everywhere along the route, and it brought to mind the season where the sisters, I think, were running, and they were near, I think it was Beijing, because it was, or somewhere where Olympic stadiums were still standing, and they were right at the... Um, the mat at the end of the leg, but one had to pee so bad that she stopped and the other team passed them 
And I believe they got eliminated because she stopped to pee. They did. They did. Yeah, Jen and Keisha. I remember that. And she had been drinking tons of water because they had to eat a bunch of food or there was some sort of gross eating task. And then she couldn't make it. And then it was like Final Four and they got eliminated. And that's tragic. Listen, they sleep. They they go to bed thinking about that every night, I'm sure. Well, they did come back, but I don't want I don't know if I should spoil a season for 10 years ago, but they did come back <laughs> and do OK. So they got some redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of these are on Hulu. I actually just found out a lot of them are on Disney Plus in Canada. So yes. if we haven't offended our Can- Canadian listeners yet and you're still listening to this, you can go find them on Disney Plus. Listen, I love everyone in Canada except Ken. <laughs> OK. All right, I'll give my first idea. So I love challenges where they have to drive some sort of vehicle that they're not familiar with. So even just seeing a team struggle with a stick shift rental is pretty funny. But I'm like, okay, what if you put them in the Surrey bikes over at the boardwalk and they have to like deliver 10 packages to guests that are staying in all those hotels all the way around the boardwalk. So they deliver the first package at, say, like Beach Club, and the person answers the door and, like, gives them the next, at you know, quote-unquote address of where they have to go, and it's all the way on the other side. So they have to keep riding this Surrey bike, which I've heard from friends who've rented them that some of those hills are pretty steep. Jeremy has rented one. Some of those hills can be pretty steep. And depending on when they film this, like it could be very hot outside. So I'm just imagining by the end of delivering the 10th package, they're just exhausted. Listen, if you want to think, if you think you're in good shape and you want to test that belief, go rent one of these Surrey bikes, either at the Port Orleans or Boardwalk, and you will be convinced you are not. (laughs) (laughs) I also feel like that would give a from a from a TV show point of view, it'd give a lot of good shots inside those hotels. Yeah, yeah I love I, that. That, that. That idea didn't even cross my mind. That kind of, but they do that a lot, where it's like you hit these three houses and then you get them all, you know, at the end. Yeah, it's. I feel like part of what we're doing with a lot of these is we're just like trying to torture the players by putting, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, they do that on the show though too, where they like. <laughs> you go to the world's largest apartment complex and have to deliver these pizzas and they have to run up and down the steps. So I think we're in that right ballpark though. Yeah. Well, that those are the challenges I like. Like I think when the show first launched, their big thing was like, we're going to make them skydive and we're going to get these awesome shots that no one else can get of people bungee jumping. But to me, those aren't exciting because it's just kind of first come first serve. And then almost always the teams do it and then it's over. Uh, But the ones where like you really could catch up or fall behind depending on how determined you are to finish those are fun well and i love the culture aspect of it so you mentioned that world's biggest uh apartment building i remember that season and i was fascinated by that i spent the afternoon googling and learning about that (laughs) yeah with a walt disney world season you definitely miss out on the uh language barrier comedic moments all right my next idea is going to piggyback off of something dan said like a spot the message challenge, but mine's going to be on the Skyliner. So they're going to have to start on the Skyliner on one end, ride it to another part, maybe start at studios to ride to Epcot. And along the way, they either have to spot a message or count a certain number of things. And then once you get to the other end, you give them the number or the message. And if they don't get it, then you got to ride it all the way back and restart. Um, And we've all been on the Skyliner. So we know that can 
take a lot of time and really uh, you don't want to mess that up. And I feel like they do that a lot on, on the Amazing Races. Sometimes they're in a plane or sometimes, as you said, they're repelling from something. These are very time consuming things, so it can make yeah. or break you. Yeah, I had such a similar idea, except it'd be the people mover. And yeah, they would find like five numbers and it would open. A, I didn't end up going with this, but it would like open a combination lock or something. And if they didn't find the right five numbers, they'd have to get back on and ride the whole thing all over again. Yeah. Yeah, Phil, they do a lot of that because um, I mean, a lot of them, sometimes they end up being very easy, but they're like, let's get on a trolley and you go by and you have to find, yeah, like similar things. Sometimes it's, though they they've messed with them and they're in another language and stuff, but it's a it's a good, solid, amazing race task to show off a city. I feel like there was one where they had to they had to eat a meal while they were on the little train. Do you remember right. that? Yeah. Uh, and they had to finish the meal by the time they got back around. Um, so you could do something like that. And two challenges in one. <laughs> they did that on a Ferris wheel and no one could do it. And they all gave up. So it can be <laughs> too hard sometimes. <laughs> Oops. You win some, you lose some. All right. Well, am I, are we ready for me next? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is not a roadblocker detour. Similar to kind of what you just mentioned there, Jeremy. It's root info is kind of what they call them. This is a bit of a, I mentioned kind of like a scavenger hunt, but this is where you're going to find, I'm going to send them around the resort. A little bit of what you just mentioned, but in this case, they're going to be, they're going to arrive at Transportation and Ticket Center. They're going to be handed a photo and they're going to eventually have to go through three photos. But the photo is, the first one is of the five-legged goat at the Contemporary Resort in the mural. So then they got to go find that. They could go any way they want. They could take a monorail, they could walk, they could take a bus, Uber, wherever. So they do that. Second picture they get is the, the nanny chairs at the boardwalk. So then they have to go from the contemporary, figure out where what those chairs are, if people don't know. The creepy chairs, basically, down by the fireplace. Find that. And then the final one is they get a picture of the artwork of the African masks that's in the lobby of Jumbo House. So then they have to find a way from there to Animal Kingdom Lodge. A little complicated, but they've done this before where it's like, you get a picture, and the thought is, on The Amazing Race, it's like, nobody knows what it is because they're not in that city. Here, it's like, they're a little obscure, but not too much. But the main thing is, how are they going to get there? Do you take the monorail, then walk through Epcot to get to the boardwalk? Do you take a bus? Do you take a cab if they're around? And then how do you get from the boardwalk to Animal Kingdom Lodge? Like, you kind of make them, they don't have a great way to get to any of these. Yeah. So it's more like, how do they get around and find them? That's really smart. Yeah, because people have won and lost the race by choosing the wrong type of transportation. Yeah, never choose the subway. Always take a cab. That's that's the general rule. <laughs> if you can afford it, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that that one season they got lost in Africa and like they ended up in like in the wrong part? And I think the producers had to intervene because the local officials were like demanding passports and things. So yeah, the wrong taxi can take you to the wrong place. Animal Kingdom Lodge, they'll get you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, are you a guest here? You know, yeah. not, we're going to step in this room. Yeah, no, uh, but yeah, I think it's fun just making them. I, I didn't want to do all of them as attractions. It's like get like you kind of did there, getting them around the resort. I love Animal Kingdom Lodge, so it's kind of it was kind of an excuse to have it get there and also see those weird, really weird chairs. That was that was the reason. <laughs> and the five legged goat, which we can see here on our podcast. Anytime we want. That's true. Did you know I, I 
I have it tattooed on my arm. Oh, you oh I didn't. I didn't know that. I was yeah. going to ask, like, do you have a picture on the wall? But oh, even better. <laughs> he takes it with him wherever he gets. So if you were doing this task, you could just show your arm, and then they would give you the next picture. You oh, that's smart. Have to Booyah, Phil. Take that. Now you need to get those chairs tattooed on the other arm. <laughs> you're uh, you're no. two-thirds I, of the way there. I stayed at the boardwalk, and I took a selfie with those chairs, and it still haunts my dreams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have used the clown in the pool, but it's gone. So oh, I can't use that that's true. Maybe it's backstage somewhere, and then it's really tricky. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so my second pick. I've always, I've always loved the needle in a haystack challenges. I, I like. I remember last season they ended in, or a couple seasons ago they ended in New Orleans, and they were just given hundreds of king cakes, and they had to just search through it to find the little plastic baby in one of them. Uh, very good. There was a there was a famous challenge that was literally a clue in a haystack, and it was a field full of haystacks. And a lot of the teams found it in like the first five or six that they searched. You had to, you know, unroll this enormous haystack. And I remember the team that got eliminated, they spent hours and hours. And finally, Phil just put them out of their misery. And the crew brought Phil to the field and was like, guys, you, you can stop. You've been eliminated. Like, it just <laughs> took them that long. So stuff like that can really be, can really give teams a chance to come from behind if they get lucky. And I remember in season, I think it's season five with Charlotte and Myrna, where they they went to like a chocolate factory mm. and they had like Russell Stover size chocolates. I mean, by the thousands lined up and they had to search them for the, the thing, whatever they were looking for inside the chocolates. Uh, they might have eaten one or two, but you know, by the third one, they're just like biting into it and then throwing it on the floor. So it's just this... <laughs> disaster zone of half-eaten chocolates all over the floor and i think some teams were going so fast that they they like passed it like they bit into one and threw it away not knowing it was in there anyway do that but with zebra domes at animal kingdom lodge <laughs> because oh. i've been to boma i've seen that they can just lay out zebra domes by the hundreds on that buffet so if you have a whole line of zebra domes and they have to bite them one at a time until they find the clue inside. That could be very fun to watch because they just have like chocolate all over their mouth. They're getting frustrated. They're getting sick. Their partner's yelling at them like, try that one, try that one. Oh my god! The only thing I hate about that is the number of zebra domes that would be wasted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it breaks my heart. <laughs> it, they, Disney would get compensated. But I know what you mean, yeah. They're so rich too, and then you know they don't have. They have a very, very small amount of alcohol. But if you ate like a hundred of them, <laughs> I don't know if that would. Imp I don't know if that's cooked out. But um, yeah, they had one where they had. To, I think it was season seventeen where they had to. There was like a big buffet, and they all had to eat different things to find the right one. And the person was like, um, there was one team that was throwing up and stuff, which is not pretty. I feel like that's all I keep bringing up is people throwing up. But um, but they do that. Or one where a guy had to drink like Luke of Margin Luke had to drink all this tea to find the one that was like sna the Snapple tea or something. Oh, yeah. And that was a big fail, too, for him. But, um, yeah, they, they like to do that. But I like it with Zebra Rooms. At least it's something that tastes really good, at least at the beginning. Right, and I think the tea, if I'm remembering the right one, like, he had to drink it. Like, that was part of the rule. You had to finish every cup. But right. the chocolates, it was... It, people were not eating those. That would be absurd. All right, my third idea. 
um, there's always a challenge, I feel like every season, maybe even a couple of them, where they have to do something artistic or build something and it's very attention to detail. And so that's what my next roadblock would be. So teams could decide if they wanted to A, dress an audio animatronic. So maybe they have to look at a picture of one of the AAs from like Spaceship Earth or Hall of Presidents, and then they have to find the right outfit and dress the audio animatronic to be, uh, you know, show worthy uh, or, you know, for being on stage. And obviously, like making sure the buttons are buttoned properly and the, you know, everything's where it should be. Or they can learn to draw Mickey at like the custodial staff does with the water and they have to get it right and then obviously if they don't it dries so quickly that they have to restart oh that's good yeah i thought that'd be like a like a fun challenge and and challenging you know to do with the broom and takes a little bit of a learning curve i'm sure yeah, yeah, I like the idea of like a huge crowd of people gathering around, you know, watching them do it and like laughing when they mess up and cheering them on. Yeah, yeah, the pressure. Show loves to do that too. Have people pointing around and laughing or playing loud music while they're doing it or something really <laughs> jarring. Though if it was me, you obviously take the animatronic one. The teams that take the Mickey drawing, while that would be fun for TV, that's that's a losing effort. You don't want to pick that. That's a bad choice. I don't know. Sometimes they get really easy judges. True. You know, it just depends. It depends on the judge. But yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. That's a that's a losing game there. You have to have somebody that um, is very attention to detail oriented. Uh, I, I, we should have mentioned this. Derek and I have applied for the Amazing Race a couple times, and we've never been chosen. But I always thought Derek and I would be the great, like the best team, obviously. But he is much more detail oriented than I am. So that kind of a challenge I feel like Derek would do really well with. Whereas I would be more of, um, I don't get as frustrated as Derek does in situations. So that kind of a challenge, I feel like I would excel at. That is very true. You would, you would be my Derek whisperer. <laughs> the whole race. <laughs> like Derek, it's okay. It's okay. They like to have teams with different, different skill sets though. So you guys, you guys would work perfectly. You know, you don't want to have we two to... people that that act the same. You know, you don't have to tell us this, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I would love to tell you I know someone in the Amazing Race production, but I would be lying. I don't, so I can't help you. But this is awkward. But that's really why we brought you on. <laughs> oh. This is actually not even being recorded right now. Yeah, <laughs> just for that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Uh, no, but we should reapply again because now I think like if we were like Disney podcasters, you know, maybe that would be our end. I don't know. They'll say take it to ABC. <laughs> <laughs> now, my third one, this is a detour. Your options are they like to name the detours. So I did this. Your options are around the world or up in space. So this is going to take place at Epcot. This is probably not my cleverest idea ever. And I promise the people are not going to have to drink around the world and do all of it. That would be insane. But it's kind of a mix of you have to find a place and then you have to take a few drinks. So there's three places. This is a detour. So this is the around the world option. First one, you have to go to have an avocado margarita at La Cava del Tequila. Then have a Schofferhofer grapefruit beer in Germany. And then have a Grand Marnier slush in France. Three, But the idea is... 
it takes time because you've got to go to Mexico, Germany, and then get to France. So you're kind of traversing the World Showcase, traversing World Showcase, but you're not, um, it's not hard. You're just taking a drink. That's easy. The other one is up in space at Mission Space. So you got to go through the pre-show flight training, get on the orange version, but during the ride, before it finishes, you have to eat a large quantity of astronaut ice cream during the ride. <laughs> and you can't throw up. Like, you know, if you Ugh. lose your lunch, you will not throw, you'll have to do it again. Or if you don't finish. So if you, it, up in space could be faster if you could hold, if they could hold down and eat the food. So that, that's kind of the, the two choices there. Man, that, I gotta say, that is a tough decision. <laughs> Because, I mean, drinking around the world, like, people take vacations to Walt Disney World to do that. But Mission Space would be really quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not a challenge. That's called Tuesday night, which you just described, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for, our non, for the non-alcoholic version, you could also make them drink uh, Beverly at Club Cool. Oh, that is... They, you know what they need to do? They need to have one where they drink, like, 64 ounces of Beverly or something. <laughs> or, you know, just because one drink a is easy. A big gulp. Yeah, you got to drink a ton in like a certain amount of time. Something like that. Woof. Yeah, that's tough. I like that. Uh, For my third idea, kind of similar to what Jeremy mentioned with the audio animatronics, I think it'd be fun to show them like three cast members or, or maybe like three mannequins wearing a full cast member uniform or a cast member costume for somewhere on property. So you've got like the Tomorrowland attractions and I don't know, Galaxy's Edge, food and beverage, and then like a valet at Beach Club or something. You show them three what it looks like. And then you let them loose in the costuming department where, you know, hundreds of costumes are all end up. All the signage obviously has been taken down. So they don't know, but they have to search through all these things, find the right pieces, and like maybe dress three cast members or dress themselves or something. And then the judge has to make sure they got every single detail right. It's on the right side, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then I like the judges who, if they're wrong, they don't say what's wrong. They just say, no, that's not right. And then they have to figure Mm. out what is wrong and change it. So I thought that'd be really cool. Like, let them get some cool shots of the costuming warehouse, costuming department, and they have to search all of these costumes for the exact right pieces. Because a lot of them do kind of look similar. Like, we've talked about how bus drivers and Tomorrowland wear very similar costumes. That is true. Another thing that just sparked off my head, I remember that um, there's a place, it's not actually on property, but um, where they make the costumes, and one of the things, they, they send it through the machine to, like, check to see if it has, like, the sewing needles still in it. So they could like have to like put costumes through that machine to try and find a certain number of sewing needles. That could be a, a fun little thing. Also good. Also good. And I feel like Disney would be okay with this because it really gives people more of an insight to how the magic is made without, you know, giving away too much. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we know clothes have to get made somewhere. <laughs> Wait, I what? like it. I think um, I really like the idea of the judge because a lot of times they'll do that where like, people are walking around and you have to find the mask that matches yours. And if you get it wrong, they just like the person walks away or sometimes they, they make you go back to the beginning. So this, they could just take your outfit and just like, I mean, one way is they could just put it on like a rack and it goes away or they could like destroy it or something, something (laughs) like shred it. 
something really, you know, and the people are like, ah, you know, something to really get a reaction. But I don't know if Disney wants to, to destroy their clothes, but, you know, just an idea. Yeah, Disney would be like, could you please get it right quickly? Because we're, we're, <laughs> we're losing a lot of costumes here. But yeah, you put it on the mannequin, and then if it's wrong, you throw the whole mannequin in the incinerator. That'd be great. <laughs> mm. Oh, I don't know. I think I've seen too many seasons. You start, to, your brain starts to go beyond what they would do on the show. <laughs> a little bit, but that's okay. That's why we're here. All right, my next idea. First off, if you've seen the show, you know every season they have the Travelocity gnome that goes with them, at least for part of the leg. So on the Disney season, we're going to have the Figment popcorn bucket. That's going to be the <laughs> the replacement. <laughs> Um, and it's about the same size. Uh, but anyways, um, there is always an eating challenge, as has mentioned. So I was thinking, what would be a challenge for two people to eat on property? And so my teams are going to have to go to Beaches and Cream and get the kitchen sink and have to finish the kitchen sink between the two of them, which for some people is a challenge. For other people, eh, not so much. I was like, wait, do I have to share? <laughs> Well, where did we go? Did we went to Beaches and Cream, Derek, your last when you were down here, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even like the normal ice cream is a lot. So I'm sure be, the kitchen sink is... I've actually never had it in person myself. No, I, I've never ordered the kitchen sink. Um, but yeah, you're right. Even the milkshake I got came with that enormous slice of cake on top. And then there was no way I could finish the milkshake and the cake slice. Yeah, it was crazy, though. Brought all the boys to the yard. <laughs> That's right, it did. <laughs> I um I was actually thinking of doing something similar. I was going to make one person eat the whole kitchen sink, so I appreciate that you were not as diabolical with your choice. I did not pick it, so I think I think it's good though. It's a it's a real test. Do you remember did I dream this? Isn't there a season where it ends in Chicago and they had to eat a whole Chicago-style pizza between the two of them? Yeah, that was season 6. Um and, and you know, it's see it's one of those things where Phil was like they have to eat a whole pizza. And I was thinking, this is going to be really hard. And then the teams just roll, strolled up and just like powered through it. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I think it was season six. They also went to Chicago. Oh my goodness. I'm sounding ridiculous, but they went to Chicago in season 29. So maybe, maybe I'm getting the two conflated, but I know they have had to eat a pizza. I just can't remember. I think at 29, they delivered the pizza. So, you know, yeah, no, but, it was, it was definitely early on. Cause I think it was before I'd had Chicago style pizza. And I remember thinking this is the dumbest challenge, especially the way they tore through it. Like you said, I'm like, this is a dumb challenge. But as an adult, now that I've had Chicago style pizzas, I'm like, are you kidding me? That is so <laughs> much. That's a pie. <laughs> the team was really cheese. hungry. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember, Derek, that season that they did the king cake? Do you remember a lot of people started eating the cake because they just had yeah. to find the baby? And then once they found the baby, then they had to eat the beignets. And people were like, oh, no. <laughs> That's why that challenge was so funny because after all of that time searching through the cakes, maybe hours, the hardest part for them was eating two beignets and they were like crying. They're like, my mouth's so dry. I can't swallow it. <laughs> and watching from home, I'm like, I've eaten four beignets in one sitting. Yeah. You know? So maybe, you know, maybe instead of beaches and cream, they might go eat beignets at French quarter. It's pretty good. Those, there's a lot of powder sugar on those bad boys. <laughs> Okay, well, here's my fourth one. Um, this one's not as complicated, thankfully, but they have a, a task that 
that I know mostly from Amazing Race Canada, where it was called the face-off. But here in the U.S., they call it the head-to-head. They've had it more recently the last few seasons. But what it is is when you have an even number of teams, you have something where they the t- first two that show up, they compete in something. The winning team goes forward. The losing team competes with the next one, and it just goes down to where there's one left, and they have a penalty. So this one, it's pretty straightforward with Disney. It's that they're going to compete on Toy Story Mania. And so the reason I chose that over Buzz Lightyear is Toy Story Mania can kind of hurt after a while when you do it and also can make you some people a little motion sick, too. So let's say you start at the beginning and lose a bunch. By the end, you could be in real trouble. You know, you could be really hurting. So that's why I thought of that. Also, I thought of instead of just having them take like a time penalty, I thought at the end they just had to go like, okay, it's supposed to be about 15 minutes. So they, after all that, they have to go ride alien twirling saucers, and then they have to go eat a lunchbox tart, just something to take some time while afterwards. But the main idea is compete on Toy Story Mania, and then um, if you're really good, you can jump ahead, basically. That is brilliant, because you're right. Even after one ride on that, yeah. my arm is feeling it. Yeah, Derek and I would not do well on that, and it would be Derek's fault. <laughs> we would be so screwed if that if that was our challenge, and I would feel awful because Jeremy would be crushing it, and I'd be like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> By yeah. the end, you're but, just but, sitting there, like, "Just give us a penalty. We're yeah, done." But I'm also, write it. no, because I'm. This is how I am. I. This is where. This is why we would be good TV because Derek would be so frustrated, and I would be trying to encourage him, but my encouraging would also be annoying to him. <laughs> so yes, that's not helping. Shut up. <laughs> I'm sold. I think you guys would be fun. (laughs) I'm just definitely, I'm that type of person where I'm like, we got this. You got this. Just focus. And he's like, I know, but I can't do it. I just, I see it. (laughs) I, I, because I'm a realist and encouraging words like that mean nothing to me. Cause I'm like, you don't know. You're like, oh, I know you can do this. I'm like, you don't know that. I'm sorry. What do you know the future? Anyway, (laughs) you're really getting a peek into our dynamic here. Uh, my next pick is sort of similar to what Jeremy mentioned at the beginning where they have to perform because I do think those can be very funny to watch, especially since people come to the table with different skill sets. So I had two ideas for this. One is they're both in World Showcase. One is they have to perform one of the acrobatic acts from the Chinese acrobats, but I feel like those could be dangerous, so I don't know if they would be allowed to. So my my other pick is put them in beer garden, and they have to successfully perform a song. I don't know if it's a xylophone, but it's very xylophone-like that the guy plays, and they have to perform a whole song, like note for note, exactly right. And I think that would be so fun, because that crowd would be drinking beer, hooting and hollering, cheering them on, and then they just have to do it over and over until they finally get it right. And you could put them in the lederhosen costume, yes. which makes it fun as well. <laughs> there is no question CBS would do that. Like, not a question in my mind. Oh, yeah, I think they've done that. I mean, not that exact song, but they've put them in those types of costumes before. Or, yeah. you know, they had them do sing this, like, duck song. Or they even had them play, speaking of what you mentioned, they had to play Daylight daylight comes and i want to go home last season oh, yeah. 32 and teams could do it on the xylophone or uh, not xylophone yeah. but on the you know very similar the, the, yeah the steel, steel drum drums. yeah the steel drum not oh xylophone what am i saying but so <laughs> they make them do that and i think yeah the crowd they 
whenever they go to Germany, there's always some task that involves people in the crowd have these giant beers and are all laughing. It's like that's all the Amazing Race <laughs> knows they do in Germany, I guess. So it fits. Okay, maybe that's all. Maybe all that history is like seeping into my brain, but I can I can totally see them doing that, and it would be kind of fun to watch them, especially if they get frustrated and they can't get it the first time. Yeah, it's a good choice. I think they would like feed off the energy of the crowd and have fun. All right, so everybody knows in the last episode, there's usually three teams. They come back to America, and one of the tasks always involves remembering various things from all the other legs. Maybe it's remembering the flags and putting them in order in some way. Or I think one season, didn't they do like hello from each or like a word from each mm -hmm. of their the countries they had visited and they had to put them in order, that kind of thing. So the final leg of my amazing race, they're going to end at the Magic Kingdom. They're going to go out to the bus loops where each stop is numbered one through 34. So however many legs there are. And you have the slots for the resorts. So they're going to have to put in order the resorts that they visited in the right order from every leg that they traveled. And the challenging part of this is you have to use a ladder and like slide it in and move on to the next load zone and slide it in. So it'll take some time. And if you mess it up, then you got to try to adjust and figure things out. So... That's my final challenge. Is the point they will have visited all 34 by the time they're done? Well, I thought about that. I don't know if it'd be like we visited 10 or if we visited all 34. It'd be great if they somehow visited all 34 <laughs> and then they had to figure out or remember the order. Because that would mean on some legs they visited multiple resorts, but you'd have to remember, were we at the boardwalk first or did we go to beach club first? Yeah, was it all-star movies or all-star music? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the one with the football helmet? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, I would be lost because I would get confused with something. But I love it. I think it's cool. I don't know, though. You see those hockey sticks, you think sports. But twist, that's movies. <laughs> because it's Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Mighty Ducks, that's right. Tricky. Oh, yes. it's um. It would be harder than it sounds. But, yeah, they do that a lot. Where it's always... Oh, there's a bunch, you know, there's a bunch of posters on the wall or they find a lot of weird ways to, to do memory. But this would totally fit. Yeah, that's actually perfect. Yeah, you're right. Because some of the ones I do are it's like, who came up with this? <laughs> oh, I think the best one was when they ended up at the United Nations and they had to find the flags of all the countries that they went to and put the flags up out on the lawn. Love that. Yeah, that's good. That's classic. Yeah. The flags are always a good choice because people always, you know, I, I'm like, I don't know what these are and I'm sitting at home and I remember where they went. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not stressed like them. So it's good. Well, I don't have a final challenge, but I have one that's probably overly complicated and impossible if we want to get to that. But um, so this is a roadblock. You're going to ask someone who's ready for a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. So they always have these tasks where somebody has to memorize a speech and dress up and give it or memorize, like you mentioned, dancing. But sometimes they have to do a poem or sing a song or something weird like that. And they have to test. So this they're going to be. OK, this is kind of ridiculous. They're at the Carousel of Progress and the audio animatronic father is out of service in the last scene. So you have to fill in. So you have to go in, stand there. You have to memorize. I picked the last scene because he has the least amount of talking. But you have to memorize his lines, 
you know, pretty close. There's one where he says, what, uh, where you might not have to say it exactly, but you have to go through and then you have to perform it with the other animatronics. And then if you don't get it right, you got to ride the thing all the way back around until you go again. So you got to go through the whole thing and try and practice. And so I thought it was fun because it makes you get into the show and it's kind of like the race, but the more I think about it, the more I think, I don't know how they would be able to do this. Even with, he has, I looked it up. He has like eight lines and most of them are like, wow, 975 or something, yeah. but it's still pretty hard. It's not that easy. Well, and the, I think the challenging part of that is the timing because right. the other animatronics are going to keep going. So you can't, you know, you're, you're going against robots. You're not going against another human who's going to give you the benefit of the doubt. It would be really hard. And, um, and I guess they could study the paper between like as they go around, but I feel like you got to do it from memory. But um, I don't know if I could even do it. I'm yeah, that's sure. tough. That's tough. But I do like the idea of him like putting on the John costume, the sweater and the apron <laughs> and all that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, it, it also would have worked RIP the old Animation Academy, or, or I don't know if it was called it at that point, but where the person like interacts with Mushu. On the screen? Oh, yeah. Right. That yes. would be good, because if you, if you mess up a line, then what Mushu says doesn't make sense. So, And yeah. I thought about doing it as a Jungle Cruise skipper, too, where you had to give certain jokes. But I didn't. I thought this was a little even more ridiculous than that one. Yeah, I love the ridiculous <laughs> aspect, yeah. Um, speaking of ridiculous, some people, no one on this podcast, but some people would say a little show in Animal Kingdom is ridiculous called kite tails i think <laughs> i think it would be a great challenge to because you have the driver of the the wave runner or whatever those vehicles are but then you have the person holding the kite on the back who are safely strapped in so i'm like put them on the back and they have to keep a kite in the air for i don't know 60 seconds 90 seconds something Obviously, a whole crowd of people is watching. Maybe you can give them like the the the, the second string kites, string no pun intended, where you're not like damaging actual Disney kites for the show. But if I, it looks like it's a challenge to keep these in the air sometimes, so I think it'd be fun to go for you know two minutes and you have to keep it up the whole time. And if you can't, then you have to reset and go all over again. I like it. I think it's I think it's a great idea. Um... One, you need to spotlight, you know, this amazing 50th anniversary attraction at Disney World, and I'm sure they will <laughs> want to do that. So this is a perfect way to promote it in the best way possible. Yeah. And I think it'd be funny if, like, if someone started around sundown and then by the time they're done, you know, it's just dark outside. So it kind of gives you an idea of how long they've been trying to keep their kite in the air. I think that all of these are excellent ideas, and I think they should have a season of Amazing Race at Walt Disney World. It's totally doable. I mean, 15 free ideas right there. <laughs> There's so much they could do. I mean, I, like I said, I, I came up with these, and I was like, oh, man, I could I could spend a lot longer with, I mean, there's so much and I didn't even think about, I assumed they would not have to wait in line. Like there's no lightning lane task or no, any of those things, but because you know, who wants to deal with that on a fun show, but you know, nothing on, nothing on that level. I had a lot of things um, like, you know, something on, at the land pavilion where they had to plant stuff. Cause it, there's always sometimes a task. I say always, a lot of the times a task involving farming 
Um, so really any sort of aspect of that show could be replicated at Walt Disney World in some way and not be far off from what they actually have to do. I mean, the only thing maybe they couldn't do is like, I don't know, bungee jumping. I don't know where you would do that at, but. <laughs> but that's okay with me. Cause like I said, those challenges are, eh, I mean, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Animal Kingdom. I mean, they have a lot of them where they ride it. I mean, the show amazing race, they ride an elephant or they clean an elephant or anything else. And there's so many different ways you could do something with the animal kingdom with the animals, which is a big part of it. And, um, and of course world showcase. I mean, yes, uh, there's plenty of different things in each country. You could probably find something with, so it's endless possibilities. I'm, I'm with you. I definitely thought of animal challenges because one of the most iconic of all time is where Colin and Christy are trying to drive the ox and he's just not cooperating. Or like sometimes they have to herd a ton of one animal into like a pen or something. And it's just so funny when the animals are not doing what the humans want them to do. But I, just, I, I couldn't quite think of what they could do in Animal Kingdom that Disney would sanction. The goats. Right. The goats at the uh, Rafiki's Planet Watch. <laughs> yeah, I did think of that, especially since you and I rode the safari, and now we've seen they've added goats to the safari. Yeah, did, yeah goats came to mind. There's something there, for sure. Or or they have to do the Winged Encounter show and, like, uh, perfectly get all the birds to fly back to them or something. I don't know. <laughs> to fly, or count the birds as they fly over. Like, they have to... And if you get it wrong, you got to watch the show again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get successfully pooped on by a bird while you're at animal. You're just like running around chasing the birds. Or by a marathon runner, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my. On that note, <laughs> this has been so much fun. Dane, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your amazing race expertise, but also the Disney knowledge you have. One more time, do you want to remind our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, sure. You can go to TomorrowSociety.com. I do a little bit of writing. It's mostly the podcast. And then pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole deal. Usually have episodes every two weeks at at a minimum and lots of fun interviews. And check it out. Cool. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here in a couple weeks. Let's go watch The Amazing Race. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. It looks like it's a challenge to keep these in the air sometimes. So I think it'd be fun to go for, you know, two minutes and you have to keep it up the whole time. And if you can't, then you have to reset. (laughs) Reset. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I can't. Okay. I'll jump in. No, you're good. You're good.